every month, we do what we call a missions moment where we try to recognize one of our missionaries that we support around the world. So she's going to give you a little bit of an update on one of those and then pray for them and also pray for a couple of uh, local missionaries that we're going to be sending out here later this summer. So Beth, please come up. Good morning, everyone. Just wanted to give you an update on a few missions matters this morning. Um, the first is for Tom and Sushan Odapan. We all know, of course, um, what they've been facing in India, but unfortunately, um, Sushan just received a cancer diagnosis. So we just wanna partner with them the best that we can, and that's one of the ways is through prayer, of course. So in the coming weeks and months, if you can pray for them, I know they'd appreciate it. And secondly, if Dan and Rebecca can stand up, Rebecca is going on her first missions trip. Um, she and Dan are joining a team. Um, they're gonna be in Moldova with a VBS with, we're expecting about 100 kids right now. So if you could pray for them over the next three to four weeks, I would appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Um, we also have Hannah in the house, and Amy Jacks is coming as well in a few days. She'll be around for, um, for about a month. So if you want to meet her, um, hear what she has going on, or either of the ladies, I know they'd appreciate that. But let's pray now for Sushan and for Dan and Rebecca. Father God, I thank you for, um, even in the midst of our troubles, we find peace in Jesus. And I pray that for Sushan, that she and Tom and their daughters would have peace in the middle of this trial. Lord God, we pray for wisdom that you could lead them to the right doctors and the right treatment plan. And ultimately, Lord, we just look forward to the day where Sushan is healed. And um, we pray that your name would be glorified in their community um, through this illness. Father God, we pray for Dan and Rebecca and the other team members that that borders would be open, that this Delta variant wouldn't um, prevent them from getting to the VBS on time, that they would have safety in their travels to and from. Lord God, I pray for unity among the team and, and that these kids could see this week that they had a VPS as a, as a really important time in their, in their walk with you, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for everything you're doing throughout the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Beth. All right, as we play the bumper video to intro the sermon, Gabe's going to come up and bring a word from Proverbs. Just bring your offerings to the front. Um, just a quick thing, too. Bart is out today. As obviously, you can see uh, he surprised his brother this weekend for his 60th birthday, so he's down in Florida celebrating with his brother. Um, so as we roll this video, just bring your, your offerings to the front. Life is complex, and the world is broken. So we need wisdom if we're to navigate life well. The Hebrews called wisdom Hakmah. Those with Hakmah are able to live skillfully. No matter what life throws at them. But you don't stumble into wisdom. You don't become wise by accident. It must be pursued.
Amen. Oh, there we go. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Well, we've got the kids in with us the entire month. This is going to be awesome. So excited about this. I'm preaching a sermon on self-awareness, which may be relevant for a child. Might be a little over their head. So it's very relevant, actually. Um, so I, I realize this, this is Independence Day, and um, I don't have a sermon prepared particularly for the holiday, um, but I do want to say I'm very grateful to be an American, and I'm really glad we're no longer a British colony. This is, this is fantastic. Um, I, I got to say, though, you, you could do worse as far as overlords go than Queen Elizabeth in, in the scope of history. All right. So last fall, um, I... Adeline was not quite three, and I went out to check the mail one day. I, turned, I got the mail, turned back to go towards the house, and I saw this huge rainbow over the house. And so Adeline's never seen a rainbow. So I, I run in to the house and say, Adeline, come on, come on, quick, 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 quick. She's like, okay, okay what, what, what is it? I was like, come on, Adeline, there's a rainbow, there's a rainbow, come on. Okay, Daddy, okay, Daddy. So she runs out the door, and we run down like the front uh, sidewalk of our house. I turn around and say, Look, there's a rainbow. Yeah. It's a rainbow, Adeline. It's amazing. Can I go in now? I was like, okay, sure. Let's go in. Um, totally deflated by how unimpressive the rainbow was. And the next week, uh, Adeline's in the car with Jordan. And Jordan goes, hey, look, Adeline, there's a rainbow. And she goes, Daddy really likes rainbows. <laughs> Today I'm talking about self-awareness, and there are two types of self-awareness. There's what's called internal self-awareness, where you have an understanding of your own internal thought life and feelings and ideas, where they come from, how they're influencing you. And there's what's called external self-awareness, which has to do with whether or not the way I think I'm coming across to you is actually how I'm coming across to you, right? So for example, a lack of external self-awareness might be that manager who she thinks that she's creating this environment of teamwork and you know, you know, pulling on each other in these group dynamics when in reality her employees see her as controlling. Or that guy who he thinks he's just really friendly around girls, but like to them he's creepy, right? Or maybe that friend who you get coffee or lunch with every few months and Whenever you do, they spend 90% of the time talking about themselves and never once ask you a question about you or your life or what's going on with you. And they come across as self-absorbed, but they might not actually be absorbed with themselves. It might be that they just don't know how to ask good questions of other people. And so kind of they don't, insecurity drives them to kind of fill the space and just talk about themselves because that's all they know how to do. So whether that friend or that, you know, that guy's a bit creepy, or the manager, or the dude who's just obsessed with rainbows and doesn't know it. These are all examples of a lack of um, external self-awareness. Today, I want to spend our time talking about internal self-awareness. So the truth is that many of us go through, let me make sure this clicker works. Yes. Um, go through our, many of our days in a fairly unreflective way. Um, pretty unaware to the degree of which stress and anxiety um, is affecting us and out of touch with our emotions and where our ideas come from and how they drive us. Proverbs um, 27 verse 19 says, 
as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. In this verse, you kind of have this picture um, of a person over a pool of water going there to see what they look like, to see their, um, their image. And the proverb says that in the same way we can go to a place where we find our reflection to see what the person's face is, we can do that with our heart by looking into our heart. And it's a picture of, a biblical picture of basically what we would call introspection. So the Cambridge Dictionary defines introspection as the examination of and attention to your own ideas, thoughts, and feelings. And one good way of examining and paying attention to what are, what are the emotions driving me? What are the ideas that are uh, shaping how I respond or thoughts that affect me and help cause me to react in certain ways in certain situations is to look at what's called self-talk, things you're telling yourself. For example, I'm no good. I don't have to follow the rules. I should be the center of attention when I, when I enter a conversation. Now, by the way, this self-talk, it's not always conscious. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you're literally saying, I'm, I'm worthless. Other times, it's more subconscious. Uh, you may not actually walk into a conversation saying, I better be the center of this conversation. But if you walk away within, if you get bored within two minutes because you're not the center of it, then that might be what's going on, right? Other examples of self-talk. No one cares about me. God can't be interested in this small problem. I really do love my wife, but when other women flirt with me, I can't help but flirt back. I thought we were close friends, but judging by their Instagram account, they don't like me enough to invite me. I won't talk to him until he apologizes to me first. I must be in charge or everything will fall apart. You know, in my experience, there are few people more dangerous than leaders who lack self-awareness. I had a boss one time who um, was honestly a, a good-hearted person, just wanted, did not wish ill will towards anyone that was working uh, for him, um, wanted, wanted well for everyone who was working for him. I 100% believe that. Um, but they were radically unaware of themselves, both internally and externally. They didn't know how they were coming across to their employees. Um, and they were clearly very out of touch with their emotions. And there was just this string of wounded, broken people in the wake of this person's leadership. And it was so weird because I know that this person was very well-meaning and good-hearted and a Christian and in some ways very godly. And it was very disorienting in that way for me. And I came out of that job saying, okay, Lord, please have mercy on me. Help me see the ways in which... Um, I'm coming across to people. Is it truly how I think I am? What's going on? What's driving me? What are the motivators? And it pushed me into this place of like, I, it was scary to me because if you just get a little more influence over people um, or a little more power over people but are unaware of what's going on inside you, that's a fairly dangerous person. Maybe more dangerous than the person who's obviously malicious because we tend to avoid those people quicker, right? Um, I, uh, so kind of coming out of that, I've just been thinking, I'm constantly thinking, what's going on? What's driving me? What are my motivators? You know, even the other day, something, something kind of negative happened in my life recently. And I've told the story um, to several people. And I noticed recently, every time I tell this story, 
I include a flat, this flattering fact about myself, which, while relevant technically to the story, isn't necessary to the story. And I just was like, why? Why do I feel the need to include, to insert this um, every time I tell this story? Um, sometimes I'll be driving to coffee or lunch with someone, and I'll pray, and just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, give me a prophetic word for this person. And then I'll realize, actually, I just want them to be impressed with my spirituality. That's why I want this prophetic word for them. And I'll just check my heart and say, okay, Lord, what, what's really driving me? Align my, um, myself with you. Medical research has shown that if people can be given the names of the things associated with their pain and then the name of the diagnosis uh, causing their pain, then they're actually able to tolerate more pain than if they didn't have a name for it. The power of identification is, is profound. Um, there's this guy who had a friend, and his friend uh, was an alcoholic, and he invited him over to his house, and he had a little demonstration prepared. And they sat down, and there's a glass of water on the table, and he took a worm he had found, dropped the worm in the water, and the two of them watched the worm squirm around for about a minute. And after a minute of this, he takes the worm out of the water and drops the worm in a cup of alcohol. And within 30 seconds, the worm's dead. And he says, did you get the point? And his friend says, yeah. All I got to do is drink a ton of booze and I'll never get worms. <laughs> it can be hard sometimes to help someone see what's lying behind them, what's going on, the purposes and motivations of their heart. And Proverbs 20, verse 5 I love this verse, says the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And in Proverbs, there's this running theme of deep waters as the recesses of the soul. And there's things down there that lie beyond our immediate access that we don't, we can't quickly see or discern. And a friend or a mentor who can come alongside you, who's trusted, you know, loves you, and is, you feel safe with, that can help you better understand yourself, is worth its weight in gold. And the times that I've had someone do this for me have been one of the most amazing gifts. And it's usually someone, it's usually not someone who comes with these preconceived ideas about who I am, but instead someone who comes and asks good questions. What's What's going on in you, Gabriel? What's motivating you? Why do you feel the need for that? Why do you feel that you have to have this? And that is an incredible, incredible gift. I want to say this before I go on any longer. Self-awareness is more than simple introspection. Uh, the goal of self-awareness isn't to spend all your time dwelling on your own thoughts, feelings, and ideas. The goal of self-awareness is to move from introspection, I feel this way, to self-awareness, I understand why I'm feeling this way. I understand where those ideas originated, that media source that I listened to or picked that up from my parents or that environment I was in during college. Um, that's self-awareness. To then move to what's called self-management, which is taking responsibility for your own behavior and your own thoughts and your own emotions. Introspective people who never move towards self-management just live their entire lives with this victim mentality. Proverbs uh, 20, um, 16, verse 32 says, 
Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, who manages his spirit, than he who takes a city. I mean, this verse envisions this, this brilliant military tactician or general who's able to conquer a city. Um, and the sage says that the person who can rule their own spirit is more impressive. R.J. Clifford says, the conquest of self is better than the conquest of others. It's more impressive if you can rule your own spirit. Proverbs goes on with this metaphor later in the book and says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A lack of self-control, self-management, self-discipline, it leaves us vulnerable. And the tragedy of it is you'll let things through the gates of your heart even when you know they'll plunder you. But a lack of self-control leaves you at their mercy when you should have otherwise fallen. And that's the point of this, of this psalm, I mean this proverb. I think it's important at this point we remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul called self-control a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that as we walk with the Spirit, partner with him, one of the fruits that he gives us is self-control, which is not just self-denial. Self-control is the ability to say no to the things we need to say no to and yes to the things we're called to say yes to, right? It's not strictly negative. It's negative and positive in that regard. John Calvin said this as we continue talking about and thinking about self-knowledge. He says, we cannot seriously aspire to him, that's God, before we begin to become displeased with ourselves. The knowledge of ourselves not only arouses us to seek God, but also, as it were, leads us by the hand to find him. So Calvin's point here is that if we look inside, then we should become displeased with ourselves. And that displeasure should lead us by the hand to God. In Calvin's words, if we look inside and we are, are really honest, we'll see what he calls a shaming nakedness, a teeming horde of infirmities, well, the feeling of our own ignorance, poverty, vanity, and infirmity. Leave it to Calvin, y'all, to make you feel great. Um, and this is absolutely true. You know, when Proverbs talks about... Um, us not being wise in our own eyes. It's encouraging an honest self-appraisal, which is what Calvin is saying we all need to do. That if we really are honest with ourselves, what's going on inside us, um, we'll see our own weakness, our own poverty, our own sickness, and that displeasure which should call us to find the ultimate good, the ultimate beauty, the ultimate health, the ultimate wealth, which is, of course, God, and that leads us by the hand to find God. And what I want to do is I want to pair Calvin's revelation, as it were, on self-knowledge with another Christian um, writer from church history, which is a guy named Bernard of Clairvaux, who was a medieval mystic. And Bernard of Clairvaux said that most people start their lives and they go through life basically just taking care of their own needs, taking care of themselves and their own, their own self-interest, um, is what motivates them. And he called this the love of self for one's own sake. Now, self-love is biblical, right? 
we'll get to it in a second, but love your neighbor as what? Yeah, self-care is basic. You actually can't survive a week if you, li- I mean, you'll starve. You, you, self-care is not anti-God. It's actually basic to life. Um, but Bernard said that some people begin life with just that being the scope of their love. It's basically love of self for their own sake. And he said many people come to a point where they become disillusioned with their own ability to meet their needs, their own ability to um, bring comfort and consolation and meaning to their life. And in that place of disillusionment, God steps in and they discover his generosity. They discover love of God for one's own sake, Bernard said. And in this place, the, the, your scope of love is broadened. Now God's the object of your love, but it's still really motivated for yourself. I mean, you, you love God because of his gifts, his consolations, his mercies, his blessings. Um, but that's not a bad thing. It's not bad to love God for those things. That's important to say. It's not bad to love God for the wife he gave you or for the good thing he dropped in your life. But Bernard says, hopefully, we pushed past this and we see the character of the giver and the goodness that lies behind the gift. And we learn love of God for God's sake, Bernard says. Now, we don't just love God for our own sake, but because there's something intrinsically beautiful about God and that motivates our love for him. And then Bernard says that some people experience what he calls love of self for God's sake. And here the idea is that you love God and you look at the tiny flicker of flame that represents your love for him. And then you look at the raging torrent of his fiery love for you as the object of his affections. And you agree with his declaration of your life as the beloved of God. And as that place of receiving yourself as the beloved of God, you can love yourself and it's not pride, it's not arrogance, it's not self-absorption. It's saying, if you feel this strongly about me, then I agree with you. I love myself, but not for my own sake, but because this is what you say. Love of self for God's sake. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here, love has to do with attentive care. Um, You should lovingly attend to your own needs. Self-care is biblical. Self-care is basic. But hopefully, as you and I um, lovingly attend to our own needs, that arouses in us a loving attentiveness to your neighbor, whoever that might be in your life. In this journey of self-awareness and self-knowledge, um, it's important that whether this, that be the introspection of that first verse from Proverbs I gave us or that kind of guided companionship of the friend who helps you draw it out, ultimately, we need to entrust this journey to the Lord, who is the one who knows you best. Proverbs 15.11 says, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more are the hearts of the children of man? Utterly open. The, basically, these, the Sheol is the, that place shrouded in mystery and darkness that the Hebrew people who were in the land of the living had very little knowledge of. And if that's just naked before God, the writer says, how much more your heart 
Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. Not only does God know the innermost parts of you and the most secret places of your soul, he also evaluates. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Turn with me to Revelation 4 if you have your Bibles, and I'll close here. It says, Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. In the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In this, uh, oh, let me read this quote real quick from Brian Blunt. He says, they, that's the four living creatures, are so close to the throne, in fact, that John says that they are in the midst of it. This odd description most likely means that they are right up against the throne. The only one closer, as you read on in the next chapter, is the Lamb, who is, of course, God. So they're the closest creatures to the throne. Their placement then would make them the first attendees to God's presence. Isn't it interesting? Well, first, let me, let's look at these eyes real quick. So they're given eyes in front. Um, that's to behold God, the one literally in front of them in the vision. They're given eyes behind to behold the rest of creation, everything else. They're given eyes around to behold the, the hosts of heaven in the throne room scene there. And they're given eyes within, beholding themselves. Isn't it interesting that the creatures closest through to the throne of God, charged with ceaseless worship, require the greatest sight? In order to do their job of worshiping God right up against the throne, they need to be able to see as much as possible. And so God's given them eyes. Eyes in front to behold him. Eyes behind to observe the rest of creation, everything that's not God. Eyes around to see how the hosts of heaven pale in comparison. And eyes within to see how they too pale in comparison. The word holy means to be set apart as sacred. And in the Old Testament, the opposite of the word holy isn't the word sinful, as you might imagine. The opposite of holy is the word common. When we say that God's holy, we say that nothing compares to him. His glory is an uncommon glory. His love, uncommon. His justice, uncommon. His goodness, uncommon. If we're to look at the world the way the four living creatures do, then we look at it with an eye of comparison. And then as you do that, look at the world with that eye of comparison. Your God, your holy, has teeth to it, right? God, you're greater than him, greater than her, greater than their systems, greater than that ideology, greater than me. 
If it seems odd that I'm ending this sermon um, on self-awareness with a call to be worshipers, then it's only odd to us because we have tuned our ears to this culture's messaging of self-discovery, which is mostly about self-affirmation. I have nothing against, uh, you know, personality tests like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or DISC or aptitude tests like the IQ test or um, cognitive PI or, you know, team group dynamic tests like the Clifton Strengths Finders, which our staff has done, or even Christian versions like spiritual gift surveys, which we run through our, our launch tracks. Um, but, you know, like I said, I have nothing against them. After all, I mean, I'm my own favorite topic. So, <laughs> um, and I think they can be helpful at times to give people language for themselves, for how they react or respond to things in the world and their environment. And if it gives you tools um, to do that, that's great. I think we need to a bit articulate what causes us to react the way we do better. Nothing wrong with that. But the journey of self-discovery can have a dark side. It can cause us to be overly introspective. And it can also cause us to affirm things within us that are actually sinful. That we need to repent of. And that's a caution to us, I would hope. I would hope that we never see it as an end in itself. And that's why, again, if it, if it sounds odd that I'm ending a sermon on self-awareness with a call to be worshipers, it's because we've drunk pretty deeply of this, that self-knowledge and self-awareness is ultimately about self-glorification and self-affirmation. Um, but biblical self-awareness climaxes with Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's the end game, right? Of looking inward. Let's stand as we come to the table. Dallas Willard says, when God stands before us, we stand before him. Refusing to worship him is a way of trying to avoid his face and eyes. Um, before I call us to the table, I want to have a, a corporate prayer together to the Lord. And so um, just repeat after me these words to the Lord. God, give me eyes in front. Give me eyes behind. Give me eyes all around. Give me eyes within. You are holy. This time we're going to receive the body and blood of Christ together. If you're in these middle sections, you'll come to this table. This section will receive there. And this section will come to this table. Let me invite you to the table of the Lord. This is, the, this is not the table of the church, but the table of the Lord. So come all of you who have faith in Christ and join his people in this remembrance of Jesus. Come, you who feel far from God, and you who feel near. Come, you who feel clean, and you who feel dirty. Come, you that have been broken, and you that have been healed. Come, you who have been here often, and you who have not been here very many times. Come, you who have much, and you who have little. 
come people of every race, come women, come men, come children who know our Savior. For the sinless life that you should have lived has been lived for you by Christ. And the guilty death that you should have died has been died for you by Christ. We bring nothing to this table except faith. So come with empty and outstretched hands to receive the body and blood of Christ given for you. Come receive.